Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, I'm, uh, I'm taking a, a trip uh, to, to South Africa, uh, God willing, and um, uh, sort of just, I, I'm on like a, so many different uh, email lists, so many Jewish email lists, you know, and, um, and uh, so, so I don't open all of them because most of it is just stuff that I either didn't uh, sign up for to begin with or whatever it is, it's just like a lot of stuff. And I noticed, uh, like a, like a, a while ago, like a couple months ago, that now I was on like another email list that I was on, like some South African jewelry e- e- email list, which was sort of like surprising. To me. I was like, how did I get on that one? So, anyway, so I just was deleting, just whatever. And then um, I noticed it came up again, and I was like, wow, this is kind of strange. So, I don't know how I got on this list. So I opened it, and it said. Um, the chief rabbi of South Africa is trying to get in touch with you, <laughs> and so I guess it was not a, uh, it was not a, it was not a spam kind of thing. It was actually, but I, I it was so unlikely that I, I just uh, didn't um, take it seriously at first. So anyway, they're having this big uh, Torah conference um, that they've been doing for a couple of years now called uh, Sinai in Daba, which I, I, I think I was told is Swahili or something like that for gathering. So it's a big, like like Jewish nationwide. Uh, Torah gathering, and um, and so uh, so I'll be one of the speakers there, God willing, and um, and uh, so someone just told me recently that I have to get shots for that, you know, or at least find out if I do. So I called my doctor, and then he referred me to another uh, office, and that was um, to an infectious disease specialist, which sounds like very intimidating. You know what I mean? Where it's just like I'm just trying to take a trip someplace. So then they ask you a lot of questions and they figure out if you need any shots, whatever. So um, this was this past week. This happened on, on Monday. So I, uh, I, I remember Reb, Reb Shlomo said to me, uh, or he was talking, I think it was Rosh Hashanah, he was talking to the, to the congregation, and um, he said, you know, from now on, wherever you go, you should always bring a, a safer, meaning a, a, a Jewish Torah book. Where, wherever you go, you should always bring one. So I try to do that. I don't always succeed, but I try to do it. And, and the reality is, is that when you're waiting online or you're waiting for an appointment or you're waiting for a friend to show up or whatever it is, if you actually have a Torah book with you, you would be amazed, even if it's like a minute. I think that there's a special blessing attached to it, honestly, because a lot of the deepest stuff that I've learned or stuff that stayed, has stayed with me has been stuff that I've just learned while I've been waiting for a minute for someone, you know? So it's, uh, I recommend it. Anyway, so I'm thinking, well, I'm going to be waiting in this doctor's office. I really should bring something with me. So I'd been to the bagel store uh, uh, a few weeks ago, and there were some uh, Chabad pamphlets about Mashiach. So I was like, oh, yeah, I want to read those. So (laughs) I grabbed a couple of those, and I'd been keeping them in my car and waiting for an opportunity to look at them. And um, I thought as I'm, like, leaving, you know, parking in Cedar sinai I, like, sort of grabbed the... uh, grab one of the Mashiach pamphlets, and I figure, okay, this would be a good thing to read while I'm waiting. So I'm sitting in the, the little doctor's uh, office, and I'm, I'm reading, uh, and uh, the, the nurse practitioner comes in and says, um, what, what is that? What are you looking at there? You know? And so, and I, you know, how am I going to sort of like sum up like all these like concepts, right? So I said to her, it said, I said, it says we have to love each other. So she goes, oh, okay. And then she looks again, she sees written on the cover, it says redemption, 
right? Because it's talking about Mashiach. She says, "What's that? Redemption? What's that talking about?" I said, "You know, you know, you know, deep stuff, you know." So I didn't exactly know what to say, but then she had to leave anyway. So she 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 leaves, and then she comes back, and now I'm. Uh, I had gotten the shot at this point, um, and I'm sitting on, you know, the, the, the counter with the paper, you know, so I'm, I'm sitting on that, and she, she's taking my blood pressure to see if I had an immediate reaction to the shot, so just making sure that everything's okay, and so my, you have to picture this, my arm is in the, the blood pressure sling, you know, and she's standing, you know, to the side of me while I'm sitting, and somehow, you know, she wanted to continue to discuss these ideas. And within really seconds, I just found myself saying to her, we believe in the end of days, all the dead are going to be resurrected. <laughs> right? <laughs> it got deep fast, you know. And she hears this and she steps right in front of me. Right. So if I'm sitting here, she's now here. She grabs both my wrists and she puts her face like inches from mine and she says, you believe what we believe. And I said, no, you believe what we believe. <laughs> That's true. I said, let's get it straight. And she heard that and she was like, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> and I, I left out a part of the, I left out a part of the story, which was, after I told her, she asked about it, the, the, it being redemption. She said, you know, like it says redemption here. She says, are you a rabbi? Because I was wearing a, a yarmulke, you know. I said, I said, no, but I love God. And she says, you love God! You love God! You love God! So it was, um, it was an intense, you know, it was an intense moment. Then we, 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 we talked some more. But, you know... We should be very proud and, and mindful that, that Christianity and Islam both trace their beginnings, really, back to the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. They, they both, both religions say that God 100% gave the Torah to the Jewish people at Mount Sinai. And, um, of course, you know, their religions are more involved and they've got different different ideas and they do different things with that. But nonetheless, the idea that God 100% gave the Jewish people the Torah at Mount Sinai is not disputed. And we, we should understand that we're the father of all these, you know, religions, basically. And, and I'll just throw in one more point without going into too much depth, but just hear this well. The Torah that was given at Mount Sinai says that it can't be changed at all. So the Torah that was given at Mount Sinai says nothing can be added to it and nothing can be subtracted from it. So just understand the implications of that. Um, it's, it's, it's forever. It's forever. Um, so with that as an introduction, we're about to celebrate the, the receiving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. The great holiday of Shavuos is coming up. And, um, and so I want to... I learned some, uh, just an amazing, amazing Torah on it, and, and I want to share it with you. Just one of the, my favorite things that I've learned in a, in a while. Uh, and and so, so it goes like this. Basically, we have to understand that, uh, that all of life is really the interplay between 
the finite and the infinite. Everything is, is about the finite interacting with the infinite. All of life. So let me give you a very concrete experience so that doesn't sound too abstract to you. Imagine just you yourself. What are you? You're a body and a soul together. So your body is finite and your soul is infinite. So there you see in the most concrete way, you yourself are an interfacing of the finite and the infinite. Absolutely, right? What, what, is, what are the mitzvot, the, the, the Torah commandments? These are, if you think of a, think of a mezuzah, think of lulav and esrik, right? These are finite things which allow us to access the infinite. The mitzvot themselves are finite structures which open the gates to the infinite. So that is also the interplay between the finite and the infinite. And now you see this being played out in a very compelling, amazing way in terms of our approaching receiving the Torah at Mount Sinai. Because as everybody knows, we count 49 days, and then on the 50th day, the Torah is given. So, so the question is, if we're counting at all to the arrival of receiving the Torah at Mount Sinai, if we're going to make a, a specific commandment to count, count 50 days, because 50, the 50th day is the day that the Torah is given. If you're going to count at all, the whole point is to count the 50th day. And yet that's not what we do. We count 49 days, and then the 50th day we don't count. And the 50th day is the day that the Torah is given. So, so why? So there's a very, very simple answer and a very, very, very direct, satisfying answer. Because, when, because the Torah itself is infinite. The Torah itself, you, you can't put any parameters on that. So putting a number on it, you, you can't do that. See, you know, we, we have a very beautiful um, idea in Judaism, which is actually a halacha, which is that you're not allowed to count people. And it says you put a bad eye on them if you count them, which is a very, that in itself is, is worthy of discussion. But, but the idea is that people are not numbers. And we know that a lot of the most uh, horrific crimes against humanity have come when, when dictators and, and evil people have tried to put numbers literally on people. I mean, if you imagine the, 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 the Holocaust, there's no more visceral, horrible way of imagining it than actually tattooing numbers on people themselves. So, bless you. So, so why, why can't you count people? And you know, when they, took a, when they would take censuses, um, in, in, in Israel, among the Jewish people, like you just see it in this week's Parsha, that people would give half a shekel, and then you would count the coins. You would count the coins, you wouldn't count the people. Right? And then David Amelech, King David, at one point, just however it was, he forgot, I don't, I don't know what the depths of it is, but he counted people, and a, and a huge, horrible plague came on the Jewish people from counting people. But the, the bottom line is this, is that there's an aspect um, of the infinite within each person. And if you put a number on them, you're limiting them in a, in a very horrible way. So, so we see the same concept applied to not counting the 50th day. This is a slightly different concept, but it's the same idea. You can count 49, and, and why can you count 49? So I'm offering this explanation. Everybody knows that the number 7 represents this world. 
It represents nature. The world was created in seven days, right? So that, that correlates with human effort, meaning to say that that's nature. That's what I'm capable of doing is, is on the level of seven. The level of eight is beyond nature. That's what we call lamala minateva. That's already the, the realm of the supernatural is the number eight, like eight days of Hanukkah, for instance, right? So what's 49? 49 is seven times seven. In other words, seven squared. In other words, it's the utmost I'm capable of doing as a human being. Where, where my hand extends is to the level 49, but not, not beyond that. The level 50 already is like the number eight because it's an extra one after seven times seven, right? That's beyond, 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 beyond. So in other words, here we see another encapsulation and a very nice foundational organizational structure, if you want to keep all of these things in your mind, is the interplay between the number 49 and 50. 49 represents the full extent of what a human is capable of doing, and 50 is beyond. That's already Hashem. That's the Torah being given. Okay? Now, with that in mind, I can tell you the thought. <laughs> That's just homework for this thought. So, so the, the Jikovarebi brings the Ari, HaKodesh, and he says the following, that the Shar Shvuas, the gateway to Shvuas, is Chuppah. Okay? So Chuppah means, um, that's the marriage canopy that, 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 that the Chasun and Kala, the bride and groom, stand under when, 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 they, when they get married. And everybody knows that Mount Sinai was the marriage experience, the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, that was the marriage experience between God and the Jewish people, between heaven and earth, and between the infinite and the finite. Okay, all of these things merged together at Mount Sinai. Okay, and that's why Mount Sinai represents chuppah. Okay, this joining. Okay, now listen to this. So the Jikovar Rebbe explaining the Ari, or maybe he's just bringing down the Ari, I'm not sure. But he brings this amazing thing. He says, Chuppah is Gematria 99. The word Chuppah, the numerical equivalent of Chuppah is 99. What's 99? 49 plus 50. Right? The merging of the infinite and the finite. Isn't that awesome? It's awesome, right? You want to hear something? Just a total personal PS? Just, I got engaged on the 49th day of the Omer, right? And that's also the Sphere Day Malchus Sheba Malchus, right? Malchus correlates with David, right? That's which is my name, you know? Right? So, anyway, so doubling, right? So, anyway, um, you know, it's, it's so nice when you're sort of like, in, in sync with sort of like the rhythms of the of the universe, you know? Anyway, it wasn't on purpose, but it's one of the bonuses of learning Torah. You get to realize that, wow, you know? Like it's all, like, I'm, there's like this amazing track you're surfing on, and you don't, you don't even know it always. Um, but anyway, so, so I want to build on this thought, this idea of the 50th day, and... Um, the receiving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. And I just want to 
just want to underscore um, just just what it what it what it means that it that it's happening on the fiftieth day, okay? Because there's there's something that we all have to know about Shavuos. Again, the the day that we're celebrating the receiving of the Torah. All of the dates of all the other holidays are in the Chumash, are in the five books. Yom Kippur it says the tenth day of the seventh month you have to celebrate it. Um, Sukkot it says the fifteenth day of the seventh month. Um, Pesach Passover it says the fifteenth day of the first month. Right, all of the dates of all of the holidays are. Are, are, are written in the Torah itself. Not Shavuos. Not the giving of the Torah. What it says is, it says, count 50 days from leaving Egypt. But no date on the calendar is given. So we know when we do it, 50 days after Pesach, we know when it is. The Torah is telling us when it is. But very amazingly, it doesn't situate it as a calendar date. Why? Well, on a very simple level, for the same reason that we're not counting the number 50. Because to constrain it to a date is to limit it in a way that's antithetical to the essence of what the Torah is. We can't, we can't put those type of parameters around it. Now I'll tell you something else, which is kind of a mind blower. You ready for this? Shavuos which we celebrate, you know, every year. We celebrate it on the sixth day of the month of Sivan. Now, just as a side thought, um, six is the letter Vav, and Vav is the connection between heaven and earth. Right? So here's the Torah, which is connecting us, allowing us to access realms that are beyond, 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 beyond. Right? And it's like, it's like a giant letter Vav, you know? Okay? So that's a good reason why we celebrate it on the 6th. But do you want to hear something really amazing? The Torah was not given on the 6th of Sivan, say most authorities. It was given on the 7th day of Sivan. Okay? Because Moshe Rabbeinu asked for an extra day to prepare for the receiving of the Torah. So not only doesn't the Torah give the date of... Not only does the Torah give the date that we're supposed to celebrate it. It just says, count 50 days from leaving Egypt. But the day that we celebrate the receiving of the Torah was actually not the day that it was given. Again, why? And the answer is because the Torah is being given constantly. It's, it's never not being given. The receiving of the Torah and the giving of the Torah is an ongoing event that happens every single moment, every single day. This is why God, very, very, in a very calculated way, uprooted all of these anchors which would allow a person to just limit the Torah and point to it, oh yeah, it was an event there. No, it's not an event there. It's an ongoing experience that never stops. When we say the blessing over the Torah, we say it, we say um, that blessed are you, God who is giving us the Torah. It's in the present tense, the blessing. Nosena Torah is the present tense. It, theoretically, it should be the past tense, who gave us the Torah. It's not who's giving us the Torah, who gives us the Torah. That's the blessing, 
right? Because it's an ongoing experience. I'll tell you another thing. All of these things like have are 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 so. Remember, if you really want to be like a, a serious Torah person, right? You have to see not just where these ideas exist as ideas. That's nice and that's huge actually, but you have to see where they actually come down into halacha, because halacha is the way we conduct our our affairs, like in the most concretized way, you know, in, in terms of Jewish law. Let's say. You have to see the ideas in, in halacha itself. So where do we see this idea that the Torah is constantly being given in halacha, right? And, and the answer is, we have a concept called hefsek brocha, which means that you, have to, you can't wait too long in between saying the blessing over something and the performance of the act for doing the thing. So for instance, if I'm holding an apple and I say, brocha ta Hashem elokeinu mecholam, brei priha eitz, and then I put the apple down, and I go to the movies, and I come back, and I pick up the apple. I can't say, oh, I already made the blessing over it, so now I can eat the apple. I would have to make a new blessing over it, right? Because that's, that I've interrupted the, the blessing and the performance of the act. This is, by the way, why when, um, when you wash your hands... For bread, why you don't speak between the washing of the bread, washing of your hands, and the eating of the bread? Okay, because you don't want to make a hefsek brucha. Now, by the way, a lot of just so you should know, just everyone should have this level of Torah literacy. There are certain words that you can say because you're supposed to dip your bread in salt. If there's no salt on the table and you want to signal to someone, you can say to them, "Bring salt," or "Can you bring salt, please?" Because all of these things are for the purpose of the performance of the mitzvah. You know what I mean? That thing, that stuff doesn't have to be done through sign language. People just don't like to speak, so they, but, but you should know what the halacha is. And by the way, if you do talk by accident, someone says something to you, and then accidentally you talk, then you wash your hands again, but without a brocha the second time. Okay, so that's the halacha. Okay. Anyway, so, so getting back to this idea that the Torah is being given constantly... Right? Where do we see this in halacha itself, not just as an amazing idea? Imagine, imagine, you know, when you, part of the um, prayers that we say in the morning is we say the blessing over Torah study. So we, you have to say birkat Torah before you, before you learn Torah. You know, that's important. And that's just part of the morning blessings. So now, imagine, and then, and then by the way, then there's like a little bit from the Chumash, right? Right after you say Birkat Tatar in the Siddur, you'll see there's basically we read the line of how the Kahanim blessed the Jewish people, right? It's just like two lines. That's the section that the rabbi selected. Like if you had, since you've said the blessing over the Torah, you got to learn a little Torah, right? So what, they could have picked anything. Just think of the beauty of this for a moment. They, they get to pick, okay, what are we going to pick? Like every day, everyone's going to like learn a little bit of Torah after the saying of the blessing. What should we do? They should understand that they're blessed. Let them understand that, they're, that God is blessing them right now. Right? So that's the, that's the little two-line section that we read. Okay, very good. Then we read a little bit from the Torah Shabbal Peh. Right? We read a little selection from the Talmud that's selected. Okay. Now imagine, I didn't learn any more Torah. Right? So to speak, I just made the blessing over the apple and I ate the apple. And now, five hours later, I want to eat a new apple. 
in a different place because the laws of making brachas like are often contingent on where are you like like for instance if you if you start to eat something in in one place even if you're eating the same thing in another place it may require another blessing okay those are very complicated halachas but imagine I eat uh, an apple in the morning. I say a blessing over an apple in the morning, right? And I eat the whole apple. And now five hours later, I'm in my office. And I want, to, I want to eat another apple. Can I say to myself, well, I made a blessing over an apple five hours ago in my home. Therefore, I don't have to make a blessing over this apple? No, absolutely not. This would require a brand new blessing, right? A, I'm in another place. B, it's, there's been such a hefsek. There's been such a separation, right? And a hefsek, it, well, it's really called hefsek das, meaning you've interrupted your, your mental focus, right? You've made a break in your mental focus on the particular action. So now if you want to do it again, you have to re-up, so to speak. You have to reboot, you know? Okay. So, so, so yes, 100%, this second apple that I would eat in my office, five hours later, would require a new blessing. Not so with studying Torah. I can now, five hours later, eight hours later, ten hours later, sixteen hours later, be in a completely different place, open up a Torah book. It does not require another blessing. Why? Because the Torah is being given constantly and it never stops. Your interaction with the Torah never stops. Because it's being given all the time and you're wading through, you're swimming through Torah. You're never leaving Torah. Remember what it says. God looked into the Torah and created the world. The Gomorrah says the Torah existed 974 generations before the world was created. It's like it's all Torah. And as we know, every single Jewish people is a letter in the Torah. So, so quite literally... Every time you see another person, you're interacting with letters from the Torah. <laughs> you're really never leaving the Torah. <laughs> it's all Torah. See, this is, this is the consciousness that, that, that we have to have. It's so essential. Because as I, as I repeat many times, the Torah is not a book. Anyone who thinks that the Torah is a book is, is completely off. It, it's, it's the fabric of reality itself. Okay, so now, with this in mind, I want to tell you uh, something that happened to me. It happened this past week. So, my, my, I've, I've had like a kind of a pretty regular Seder. Seder means, um, you know, you have an order to your day in terms of Torah study, and everyone should have a Seder. Everyone should have a set time when they learn Torah, um, you know, even if it's infrequently, ideally it's every day, even if it's for a very short period per day. Um, and, and you should know that the Talmud says in Gomorrah Shabbos, there are certain questions that were going to be asked in the next world. Um, and one of the questions that the Talmud explains that we will be asked, every person will be asked, is did you make a set time for Torah study? Did you study Bi'ito? Did you study Torah Bi'ito? Did you have a set time for it? Whatever it is, whatever the interval is. And just, we can, we can get that one right. <laughs> we have the ability 
you know, I'm sure there will be things where we'll be sort of like, you know, metaphorically speaking, scratching our heads going, uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure why I did that, or uh, I'm not quite sure why I didn't do that. But this one we can get right, you know? So make a set time, whatever that is. And I heard uh, in the name of the Biala Rebbe, he said a beautiful, kind of more of a drusha, but a different interpretation of what does it mean that we'll be asked, did you make the, 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 the time for Torah? So he says something very interesting, that did, when you personally said over Torah to other people, did you say the right word in the right time? In other words, the, the time that you gave to Torah, did you, did you pick the right moment to say that thing? Or did you say something that just was like, you know, like a club to the head of another person? Right? Because what we share, especially when we're sharing Torah with people, people take it very seriously and they take it very much to heart. And, um, and it's like something that might be small for us could be very devastating for another person. Right? So you have to be super sensitive because when you're dealing with words of Torah, it's like, it's like laser beams. Right? Even if you're just sort of saying it casually because it doesn't mean much to you. Because, oh yeah, I've known that idea for many, many years, you know. But meanwhile, the other person may not be familiar with that idea. And so you have to really make sure that you're saying the right word in the right time. Right? And that the person is ready to hear such a thing. Um, okay. So, so my Seder kind of got thrown up in the air and the last couple of months have, it's been like I switched places where I'm learning uh, just to get a project done and that one I'm still wrestling with um, but the, the bottom line is, is, that, is that it put me back among a group of people that I haven't seen in many 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 years right a place where I used to learn very nice place but it just had to stop learning there for other reasons, so because the rabbi I was learning with had to be in another place. So, anyway, so I went back to that place because it was more convenient. And the bottom line is, I was around. It, it allowed me to be around another person who I had known many, many years before, who never really, you know, would just sort of like nod to me, and he was very much to himself, a bit of a reclusive, slightly eccentric person. And you know, we just kind of nod and give a little wave to each other, and that was our relationship. So now he's, he comes up to me this week on the street and, you know, and he wants to talk. I was like, oh, this is, you know, an unusual event in my life. And he just says to me, um, we know that before, uh, that when we got the Torah at Mount Sinai, we were at the level of Adam and Chava before they ate from the tree of knowledge. What was our merit? So? I wasn't expecting that question. <laughs> kind of went right to it. <laughs> so what was, what was the merit of the Jewish people that we were able to reach the level 
and Mount Sinai of Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve, before they ate from the tree of knowledge. Because that's what it says in the Talmud. That happened. Right? So, so, I knew, first of all, how, how can he answer a question like that? You know? So, any, anytime someone asks a question like that, hopefully your first instinct is, you know, right, just uh, so, some, so, some moment of broken heart, heart, some moment of having a broken heart, basically. You know, because meaning to say, like, how can we know such a thing? But then I, I, I tried to answer, and, and I told him this teaching from, that I had just come across from the Yalkut Shmoni, which was that really God, the, the question is, why didn't God give us the Torah right after we left Egypt? Because if you think about it, that's much more intuitive. If God is taking us out of Egypt in order to give us the Torah, how about this for a scenario? You ready? The sea splits. Our enemies drown, and then how do you top that? God gives us the Torah. I mean, talk about rolling climaxes. I mean, that's like, wow. You know, it's like, and then that's it, right? Why not that? That, that works. So the Yalkut Shmoni says that the reason is because we were fighting with each other and that we hadn't achieved unity as a people yet, but that once we achieved unity, then, uh, then we were a vessel to receive the Torah. And by the way, the word vessel in, in Hebrew is kli. Kli is, is, is spelled chaf lamid yud. That's how you spell kli, which stands for kohen levi Yisrael. Meaning to say that when the Jewish people are together, then we become a vessel to hold the light. Okay? So now, remember, these awesome teachings that, that, that we've been saying. Actually, um, I don't know if I said this latest one last week or not. I'm not sure. Anyway, we'll, 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 wrap, we'll say them right now because it's important to have all these thoughts together. So, so, so once we achieved unity, then we could get to, to, to receiving the Torah. Now, what did we say? We count 49, and then Hashem does it on the level of 50, right? Which is beyond, okay? So if you count up the, the letters, not, this is not the numerical equivalent. Rabbi Nachman says, if you count the number of letters in the 12 tribes, it adds up to 49. It's 49 letters. If you spell out Ruvain, and just count all the letters, you know, Shemin, Binyamin, Yehuda, all the way to the end, that gets you to 49. Unbelievable, right? So in other words, when we're together, that's 49, then we're able to get to 50. Unity. Okay. So, so I'll just tell you one more thing. I don't know if I shared it, but it's awesome. It's awesome. The Magalia Mukos says that, um, you know what? Binyamin is actually spelled a couple of times in the Torah with an extra letter Yud. And that actually brings you to 50. And he singles out that extra letter Yud in Binyamin, which is 
totally far out that like if you run with that it just opens up so many gates listen to this because first of all that extra letter yud of binyamin yud everyone knows is 10 right gets you to 50 what was given on the 50th day the aseros hadibros the 10 commandments right isn't that, isn't that cool right not not only that but Understand what was the Mishkan, the tabernacle in the in the desert, and later on its incarnation as the Beis Hamikdash, the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. What was that? So the Ramban says that that was an ongoing reenactment of the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. All right, the miracles that took place in the Mishkan. Remember what was the the essence of the Mishkan? Okay, it was a place where you bring offerings for atonement. That's for sure. But, but even more so, it was the place where the luchos, the Torah tablets, were kept in the Holy of Holies. Right? So in other words, there you see the Holy of Holies, the giving of the Torah and the Holy of Holies. That's, that's the Mount Sinai experience, basically, the giving of the Torah. Right? Now, we're saying that Binyamin, the extra yud in Binyamin, gets us to the 50th level. Right? Which is, we, we were saying the 50th level is the infinite. Right? You said Daniel. The 50th level is the, is, the, is the infinite, right? So what part of the Beis HaMikdash correlates with the infinite? That is the Holy of Holies. Now, which tribe did the Holy of Holies belong to? Whose section was that? Binyamin. So Binyamin's section, Binyamin, which has the extra Yud, which gets you to 50, right, which is the Ten Commandments, is where the tablets were housed in the Holy of Holies, which was an area which was infinite. Now, where do you see that it's infinite? So look in Gomorrah Megillah, page 10b, okay, and you'll see something totally amazing, which is that the rabbis measured the, the um, parameters of the Ark in the Holy of Holies, and they measured the parameters of the Holy of Holies itself, the room that the Ark was in, and they found that miraculously, the Torah Ark took up no space. In other words, the Holy of Holies was this place of the intersection of the infinite and the finite. In the Holy of Holies, which is an ongoing replica of the Mount Sinai experience, which is the 50th day, and the overlap is Binyamin, because Binyamin, that extra Yud, which stands for the Ten Commandments, that contains the entire Torah, gets you to 50, which is the giving of the Torah, and all of that miraculous stuff in the Holy of Holies, which is the reenactment of the Mount Sinai experience, happens in the tribe of Benjamin's portion. So, one more thought. If you look at the name Benjamin as it's normally spelled, there's only one Yud. And yet we know that on a deeper level, there's two Yuds, which means that you can't see everything with your naked eye. There are dimensions that are all around us. 
that are actually integral to the structure itself that you can't see with your naked eye. Because that other Yud is part of the name itself, but when you look at its normal structure, you don't see it, but we know it's there. That's all the dimensions of reality itself. We see a certain amount with our eye, but only that one letter Yud. That other letter Yud, which is the gateway to the infinite, is right here. You see, you have to understand something. And God did this intentionally, by the way. This was not God made a mistake, God forbid. God did this intentionally. You see, what's the problem? What's, what's at the root of the problem of the human condition? Why is it so hard being a human being? Okay, a lot of reasons, but let's, let's just focus on this one. Which is, which is, you know, we have this concept, seeing is believing. So what are you seeing constantly? Finiteness. All you're seeing is physicality. You're seeing the material realization of the universe. And seeing is believing. Meaning to say that you're being bombarded, your senses are being bombarded constantly with the message that this world is finite. That's one of the reasons why we have so many Torah mitzvahs. And every, from the time that we wake up to the time that we go to bed, from the time that we wake up, the first words out of our mouth have to be, The very first words have to be, thank you God for giving me life, and I know, thank you so much for believing in me that I can do it. It's the very first thing that we do. What's the very last words that we say before we go to bed? Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Right? God, you're all one. I Believe me, I just dealt with ten different people who want to knock me off in different ways. Right? But I know behind all of that, there's only you. And it's just you, God. And so every day begins, begins with a thank you, and it ends with closure that no matter what my experience has been, I know that it's all one and it's only you. And meanwhile, how many blessings and how many mitzvahs are we doing from in between those two points? And why? Because of course we need constant reminders. Imagine what you're seeing and what your brain is being bombarded with every single moment. How can you get through without constant reminders? Thank you God for the constant reminders. Otherwise I'd, I'd never get through this world. How could I do it? How could I do it? So, so let's get back to this question. We said that the question is, what was our merit that we reached to the level of Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve, before they ate from the tree of knowledge when we received the Torah? What was our merit to, to, to reach this level of Adam and Chava before they ate from the tree of knowledge? So, so our mystical tradition is, is that basically we, the snake bit us. Now, I don't know if actually his fangs went into us or if that's a metaphorical statement. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The point is, is that we got a spiritual toxin in us called the Zuhama. Okay? They call it the snake poison. Again, it, it doesn't matter whether it's, 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 uh, it was an actual thing or not. That's irrelevant. The, the, the point is, is that 
that there was a shift in consciousness that took place and that that affected us in a very deep way. And it says that that only went away when we received the Torah at Mount Sinai. When we received the Torah at Mount Sinai, we were able to get rid of that. Okay? So, so if, if the way that we were able to get rid of that, the, the repercussion of eating from the tree of knowledge, which is the snake, the snake bite, right? Was to get the Torah. That means that however we got the Torah, whatever merit we had to get the Torah is the merit that got us to the level of Adam and Chava before they ate from the tree of knowledge. I'll say that again. When we ate from the tree of knowledge, we got this snake bite. It says that the snake bite got cured when we got the Torah at Mount Sinai. So whatever merit got us to get the Torah at Mount Sinai is the merit that got us to go before Adam and Chava ate from the tree of knowledge. Because after they ate from the tree of knowledge, that's when they got the snake bite. That's when we got it, right? That's when that shift of consciousness took place. So the answer to the question of what was our merit to get to Adam and Chava before they ate from the tree of knowledge, the answer to that question is whatever the merit was that got us to receive the Torah at Mount Sinai. That, that, that's how you do the math for this problem, as far as I, I see. So it seems that unity was the way for us to do it, at least according to the Yalkut Shmoni, right? You can also say that it was Nasevenishma. Nasevenishma was that we said, we will do and then we will hear. And, and, and it says that they, the, the angels were like, they gasped, is that this was the secret of the angels. Because if, if you understand that See, what's the greatness of saying we will do and we will hear? Because we've said yes before we found out what we said yes to. See, I always think that a mark of a very good friend, if you want like a little tiny test, it doesn't mean that if they don't do this, they're not a good friend. Don't mishear me. But you know you have a good friend if you say to them, can I ask you a favor? And they say yes. As opposed to what? (laughs) Doesn't mean if they say what, they're not a good friend, by the way. But if you ask someone, can I ask you a favor, and they say yes right away, you know you have a good friend in that person. Okay? So we, we said yes to God. We said yes to God before we found out what it is that he wanted. And, and why were we able to do that? How were we be able to do that? Because we understood with all of our hearts and souls that God is good. Right? And, and we've gone over this point many times. You can't, if you want to be Jewish for real, right? Or if you want to think like a Jew for real, you can't unless you understand with all of your heart that God is good. Doesn't mean that life is easy. Doesn't mean that we don't experience tremendous pain and challenges. But we have to understand that central to our belief in God is not just an all-powerful deity who created the world and who knows our thoughts and who gave the Torah. It's more than that. It's also that, that God is good. You know? That is more than essential.
more than essential. And that's what allowed us to say yes to God before we even knew what he was asking. Okay? So now, now these are a couple of answers of what, what, what our, what our uh, schus was, what our merit was to get to the level of Adam and Chava before we ate from the tree of knowledge. But you know something? While I'm telling him the first part of this, I, I'm, I'm adding some stuff for you guys, but basically I told him unity. It all of a sudden hit me that, you know, whatever answer that I'm telling him, it, it's, not, it's not going to be enough. It's not going to be enough, and it's not going to be a real answer. And I flashed on something, a teaching that Reb Shlomo said, and I realized, okay, now we're getting, now we're getting to a real answer or at least as real as I'm capable of giving at this point in my life. And I remembered what Reb Shlomo taught about the spies. Remember, the spies are the ones who kind of threw the whole, the whole plan off course. Because we're supposed to go with Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, right into Israel from Mount Sinai. Actually, we encamped at Mount Sinai for a year, you should know. But after that year, we were supposed to go right into Israel. And then comes the bad report about the land of Israel and then the 40 years in the desert, and the dying of the whole generation, and then Yehoshua takes over for Moshe, and it's all, like, basically, cut to Los Angeles 2014, right? <laughs> I mean, more or less, you know? So, um, so the spies, like, throw everything. And the spies were very great people. They were very great people. And they were standing, looking at Israel. So what did the spies get wrong? Okay, this is the question. And this will tie back to Mount Sinai in a second. What did the spies get wrong? So Reb Shlomo said in the name of the Zohar that they saw rivers of blood flowing out of Israel. And what they saw was all the destruction and all the suffering of the Jewish people that was going to happen. But the one thing they didn't see was that it was all going to happen because of them. Get the chills, right? I mean, it's like, whoa. And what was the problem? And this was Reb Shlomo's words, I remember. He said that they looked into the spiritual bank account of the Jewish people, and they saw that we didn't have enough merit to enter the land. And I listened to these words. This is the point. But Reb Shlomo said that what they didn't understand was that God wanted to give it to us as a gift. You see, this is a very, very, very important teaching. Because, and this ties back to the 49 and the 50, and this ties back to, for me, the, the best answer I can give at this point, to what was our merit to get to the level of Adam and Chava before they ate from the tree of knowledge. And we said that the answer to that question is whatever merit it was to be able to receive the Torah at Mount Sinai. Right? You see, ultimately it was a gift. It was a gift. How do you get from 49 to 50? It's a gift. And the new thought here is that we think I work, 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 and then I get the thing. Why did I get the thing? Because I worked, I worked, I worked, I worked, I worked, I worked, I worked. No, it's, it's not true. 
That may be how we experience it, but it's not true. You work, you work, you work, you work, you work, 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 right? And then if it happens, it's a gift. <laughs> but it doesn't mean that you didn't have to do that work in order to merit the gift. You see, we've got a lot of teachings that go the opposite way. But I don't hear this one said so much this way. The way that you normally hear it is like this. You know, we learn, it says in the Gomorrah that when we're in our mother's wombs, we learn the whole Torah, and then we're born and we forget it. So it comes to us as a gift initially, then we forget it, then we have to earn it back. Another way that you hear the same teaching is that, that Pesach night, you're brought to the 50th level, right? It's a free gift. And then starting the next day, you start counting 1 to 49, right? Then you have to, you have to earn it. First you got it as a gift, now you have to start earning it up to 50 yourself through your own character refinement and all the rest. But still, at the end, you only get to 49. Remember, it started at 50. You only get to 49. Still, it's a gift at the end when it comes. See, I don't know who said it. I, I, I think it may have been Thomas Edison or maybe it was Thomas Jefferson. I don't know. But I, my mother sent this to me as like a poster. I put it, I had it on my wall over my desk at Harvard, which was uh, a quote that said, um, I find that, um, that, that the, the times that I'm luckiest in life are those occasions where I work the hardest. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we have to understand that, that basically it's all a gift. And I think a lot of unhappiness happens in our lives because we are so convinced that we deserve X. And I think one of the ways to address that is to say, you know, because I'm so focused on this next step in my life, whatever it is. This next step in my life, and I don't have it, and it's so frustrating to me, and it's so painful to me, and I feel as though I deserve it. Okay. So, first I have to realize it's a gift. But that's, but that's not the point. Here's the point. To realize, you know what? What I have right now, forget about this next step. What I have right now is all a gift. <laughs> then when I realize what I have right now is all a gift, then it's like, whoa, I'm like relaxing in a very serious way. Because I realize, wow, I have so much right now, and all of that's a gift. All of my frustration was predicated on the fact that where am I am right now, I deserve and I earned and I did it with the strength of my own hands. And I did that, so why, why are you withholding this next thing? But what everything I have right now is a gift. I'm saying, God, why are you withholding that gift? But wait a second, now I realize, wait a second, I'm the recipient of so many gifts right now. You haven't been withholding your gifts at all. I'm like laden with gifts right now. All right, I'll stop there. Thank you.